Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I'm Michael Kingswood and I write science fiction and fantasy. I used to be in the Navy, spent 20 years doing submarine operations, among other cool things. Learned to fly planes, learned to scuba dive, had a bunch of kids, saw the world, and I started writing fiction. In this podcast, I'm going to be sharing my stories with you in the hope that you'll have fun, and also that you'll like my stuff and come back for more and maybe help brother out with buying a book or two. So uh, sit back, relax, I'm going to tell you a story. Hey friends, it's Michael Kingswood and it's story time. Hopefully sounding a little bit better. I've uh, been doing these weekly for, what, 31 weeks now, and I figured, eh, you know, probably be a good idea to get a microphone. So I, I did. I used... Uh, one time I used, for a couple episodes near the beginning, I used a little headset that I got when I bought some Rosetta Stone software, and that didn't sound very good at all. And the internal mic on my computer, I guess, has done okay, but uh, these Yeti mics are relatively cheap and seem to work pretty well, so I figured I'd pick one up. And uh, <clears throat> it seems like it's doing pretty well so far. I uh, redid the intro and outro of the podcast, not the video channel, because I don't have one. Um, I think that sounds a lot better. Uh, tempted to think about going back and retroactively uh, put the new intro into the first 31 episodes, but I'm like, ah, I don't know about that. That's a lot of work. Maybe I'll just stick with going ahead in the future. Anyway, um, been a pretty decent week around here. Did some business travel this week and uh, had some fun. Did some uh, nice long bike ride this morning. And now it's time to read you guys a story. Uh, this week, going to read another one of my Larian stories. This is actually the last one I wrote. Uh, it's called Grandfather's Pendant. It's longer than the others. It's 8,300 words. So this episode will be eh, 40, 40 minutes, maybe 45, uh, all told. And... Uh, I, I like this one the best of my Larian stories just because it's, uh, the, you know, the first one is was obviously has a special place in the heart because it's one of the first stories I ever wrote and it's just kind of, kind of fun. The second one is eh, the third one is good, but this one I like because there's a little more character stuff in it, and uh, well, we'll see what you guys think. Um, so yeah, sit back, grab a drink or. Turn up the volume on, the, or turn up the pace on your treadmill, or start running faster or lifting harder, and I'll tell you a story. Back in just a second. Grandfather's Pendant, Alarian Elisir story. By me. Where the hell is it? Giles said. Giles was clearly upset. He pawed through his belongings frantically, throwing various and sundry personal articles all over his corner of the tent in his search for whatever it was. He was normally the neatest of Larian's tentmates, hardly ever leaving anything out of place at all, so something was clearly wrong. Giles? The slender man shot a glare at Larian that made his teeth shut with a soft click, stifling what he was about to say. Clearing his throat, Larian tried a different tactic. He began gathering up the items that Giles had strewn around and brought them back to Giles's corner, where he folded, then stacked them neatly. Giles watched Larian doing this for a few minutes in between soft curses and more pawing through what few belongings he had left that were not scattered all over the place, his expression growing more and more annoyed. 
Finally, he straightened and scowled. What are you doing? Larian shrugged. If the sergeant were to step in here right now, we'd all get latrine duty for the next week. He left the rest unsaid, instead focusing on carefully folding one of Giles' undershirts. Giles blinked, then looked around the tent. His eyes went wide and he flushed with embarrassment. Oh, he said weakly, his tone noticeably mollified from its earlier angry snap. Good thinking. He bent over to pick up a pair of breeches and added, Thanks. Giles folded the breeches and handed them to Larian, who slipped them back into Giles' bag that he used for clean laundry. What are you looking for? Larian asked, mystified at the other man's behavior. He'd only known Giles for a few weeks, but he was normally even-keeled and cheerful, not given to hysterics. A brief period of silence followed. Giles' lips compressed as though he was fighting back some great emotion. Then he turned away and began picking up a bunch of discarded socks. Larian watched him patiently. Whatever Giles was looking for must be important. Finally, Giles turned back around, cradling several pairs of socks in the nook of his elbow. The lean man walked over and dumped them into his dirty laundry bag without a word, and stood there, looking down into the bag for a moment. When he finally spoke, his voice was low, pensive. Yesterday at mail call, a package arrived from my parents. Larian nodded. I remember seeing it. Something special, wasn't it? Not that any arriving mail was not special. Mail call was always something to be treasured. But Giles had seemed more moved than normal when he opened the package, though when the other men in the tent asked about it, he gave only vague answers. Giles nodded. My grandfather passed on, he said. Larian felt a pang of sympathy and placed his hand on Giles' shoulder, giving it a gentle squeeze. I'm sorry, Giles. Giles gave a little start and looked back at Larian, surprise written on his face. What? Then understanding hit him and he nodded, smiling faintly. Keep forgetting you haven't been here very long. No, Giles shook his head sadly. Grandfather's been ill for a while. I've known his time was near for almost a year now. I got some leave six months ago and we said our goodbyes, so it wasn't like it was a surprise. Larian nodded in understanding, but still, he left the rest unsaid. Another short period of silence followed as Giles obviously took a moment to collect his thoughts. He left me something. An old pennant that's been in the family for a long time. My mother packed it with a letter, and now I can't find it. Oh. Well, that made more sense. Where, where did you see it last? Giles frowned for a moment, then sighed and slumped back into his cot. I don't know. Sometime yesterday afternoon before he went out to Mirasol. Larian flinched slightly at the mention of the town's name. His liberty there had been... Interesting. You didn't bring it into town, did you? I don't know, maybe. Well, Larian said, trying to affect a cheerily confident tone. We'll just have to retrace your steps. See if we can find it. Giles blinked and looked at Larian in surprise for a moment. Then he smiled gratefully. The two men did not waste any more time with talk. They took a moment, donned away their uniform doublets. Simple, but elegant garments of blue wool, trimmed in white, that carried their rank insignia on the upper arms and insignia of their units on their collars and matching gray pants. Then they stomped on their boots and stepped out of the tent into the camp beyond. The company's camp was smaller than the regimental encampment Larian had become used to. It was still orderly and tidy, laid out in quadrants just as the regimental camp had been, with each platoon housed together in its own area, cavalry separate from pikemen, who were separate from the archers and the scouts. But the feel of the place was different. Morale was higher. Not that it had ever been low. It was hard to be bitter under the commander they had. Still, for whatever reason, everyone walked a little bit taller, with a bit more of a swagger about them. It was hard not to, considering the recent victory. 
We passed the company commander's tent in the center of the camp and veered left toward the camp entrance, pausing only to salute one of the platoon leaders before he ducked into the command tent. It was a short walk from there back to the camp entrance. The guards nodded familiarly to them and waved them on without comment, though Larian thought he saw an amused twinkle in more than one eye. Make tales of our exploits and made it back here, Giles remarked as they left the guards behind. Larian smirked and chuckled. He should have known Giles would notice the guards' amusement as well. Guess so, he replied, and cringed when he realized he sounded a bit embarrassed. Giles just laughed, but blessedly did not twist the knife. The Liberty Wagon stood a short distance away from the camp entrance. Larger than most, it boasted a team of six draft horses in a cargo area that could carry a score or more, depending on how close people felt like sitting to each other. Even though it was not due to depart for a half hour, there was already a fair-sized group of men waiting. And no wonder, it was not often that soldiers in the deployed unit were allowed liberty away from camp. Giles had never seen it happen before, or so he told Larian two days ago when the word came down about it, but the older members of Larian's unit had experienced it, though infrequently. But these were not ordinary circumstances. The regiment had just won a great victory, one that from sheer numbers alone they should have lost easily, but the commander was a clever one and he managed to outfox the Martaban leaders easily, or he made it look easy from Larian's perspective at least and the enemy incursion was stopped handily. That was not to say the fighting itself was easy. Larian had been in a number of hairy situations over the three days of battle, but it turned out well. And so the commander decreed a liberty week, as a reward to the men and as a celebration, something the even the oldest veterans had never seen before. A day, maybe two, but a week? The rules were simple. One company at a time would depart the main camp and make its way to Mirasol, a moderate-sized town two days march west. Upon arrival, the company will have a week to allow its men liberty. The company commander decreed the camp would be manned at all times. Everyone would muster in the morning and take care of basic camp cleanup. Then all but the duty guardsmen and other essential personnel were given the day to themselves. Even better, each day a few would be allowed to spend the night in Mirasol and would not have to muster until the day after their night pass. The overnight pass would rotate through the men so that most everyone got a night away. It was like gold. Fortune decided that Larian and Giles should have the overnight pass together, but not until two days from now. That had not stopped them from heading out to Mirasol for an evening of entertainment. Last night's revelry had lasted until the very last Liberty Wagon departed Mirasol for the camp an hour after midnight. As he and Giles settled into the group awaiting the wagon's departure, Larian mulled over that fact and grimaced. There would be a lot of ground to cover if they were to find Giles' heirloom. When he first saw Mirasol yesterday, Larian had mixed feelings. It was a far sight larger than the town, little more than a village really, where he had grown up, but compared with the stronghold at Tel Serilan, where the Marshall Academy was housed, Mirasol was at modest at best. But the town had quickly grown on him. People were friendly and cheerful, though a small cynical voice in his head whispered that probably had as much to do with the coin the soldiers spent while on liberty as from any genuine pleasure at seeing them. Real or feigned, though, the townsfolk welcome lifted to Arian's spirits considerably. Time seemed to drag as he and Giles awaited the wagon team's return, and then during the hour-long ride to Mirasol. Larian was eager to get back to the town, but Giles was practically jumping out of his skin with anxiety. No wonder, considering the circumstances, but Larian had never seen him this keyed up before. Not even when the platoon had been cut off during the battle, and they all wondered if they were going to make it out alive. Larian queried Giles about it once and received a vague shrug along with an evasive reply, so he decided to let it lie. The Liberty Wagon dropped them off in Mirasol's central square, 
a half acre of manicured park surrounded on all sides by the official town buildings, shops, and a few inns. Roads branched off from the square at the four points of the compass, leading to the town's various districts. From what Larian had seen the previous evening, there was not a whole lot of interest past the square, though. The shops faded quickly in favor of residential areas to the west and north, tanneries and merchant warehouses to the east, and temples and the guards' barracks to the south. For a young soldier looking for a good time, the action was all at the inns. And the brothels, which were also located on the south side of town, or so Larian had heard. Thoughts of Rosalyn back at home kept Larian's interest away from those establishments, but others had returned to camp with tales of those ladies' skills. Larian felt his face flush at the memory and cleared his throat, pointedly not looking at the south side of the square. Right, he said, where to now? Giles looked around for a moment that headed to the east side of the square. The horned hare, he said, that's where we went first. That seemed logical enough, and Larian followed without comment. They passed through the carefully manicured park, complete with its fountains and statues. Presumably a famous people from Mirasol's history, though Larian did not see any names he recognized. It was a walk of only a few minutes, but in that time the eastern side of the square changed from its normal peaceful afternoon demeanor into one of bustling anger. A crowd began to gather out front of their target inn, Larian noticed. He frowned, anxiety beginning to rise within him. What's going on? Giles asked as they stepped from the park onto the cobblestones of the square in front of the inn echoing Larian's thoughts. A slight man, local by his dress, glanced over at Larian and Giles and spat onto the street. Couple of your fellows, that's what. You soldier boys don't know how to keep it in your pants, do you? Larian blinked, trading a cautious glance with Giles. It's awful early in the morning for that sort of thing, wasn't it? We should probably see if we can help, Giles said, his tone becoming grim, the way it did before a fight. He and Larian pushed their way through the growing crowd, earning themselves several angry looks. Most of the looks mellowed when the people gave them, saw their uniforms, and Larian was gratified to see that. Except for one man, a short but solid-looking fellow with a bushy black beard and gray eyes. When Larian pushed past him, he turned with a scowl. Then he saw Larian and Giles, really Giles, and his scowl turned into a snarl. You! The man growled and reached out and grabbed Giles by the lapels of his tunic. Giles' eyes widened in surprised shock, and he found himself dragged off his feet by the shorter man. He opened his mouth to make a reply, but before he could, the man released his grip on Giles' tunic, drew back, and drove his fist into Giles' belly. Giles dropped, his breath exploding from his lungs in a gurgling groan. Larian froze in second in shock at the sudden attack, then sprang forward toward the attacker. His progress was halted quickly when someone struck him on the side of the head. He fell to the ground as well, seeing stars for a few moments. When he regained his equilibrium, looked up to see the original attacker crouching down in front of Giles, who gasped and coughed, trying to get his breath back. He was in no condition to fight. Don't ever show your face around here again, growled the bearded man. Then he pulled Giles' head up by his hair and slugged him in the face. He dropped again. The man and his companions, there were three of them from what Larian could figure out, disappeared quickly into the crowd. Almost as quickly as they left, the crowd began to disperse. Within minutes, Larian and Giles were left alone in the street, except for a few lingering passers-by. What the hell was that? Larian managed to prop himself up on his elbows as he spoke, but could not go much further than that because the world began to spin around him. Giles shook his head slowly, pressing his hand to his cheek, where the bearded man's fist had struck him. He did not try to sit up. No idea. Who was that guy? Larian shrugged in response. 
No answer was forthcoming from any of the few remaining people standing nearby either, so they would have to be content with their attacker's identity remaining a mystery. Over the next couple minutes, Larry and Giles got to their feet. The passers-by did not offer any assistance, verbal or otherwise. In fact, they steered well clear of the two young men, despite it being the middle of the afternoon. That was odd. For that matter, where were the town guards? People just did not get assaulted in the middle of the day without it being noticed and acted upon, did they? The horned hare was only a few steps away, so they ventured inside to take stock. The tap room was not very busy, but that was not unusual considering the hour. They settled down onto a bench at a table near the window and silently began to tend to their bruises. They were quickly interrupted by the arrival of a young, apron-wearing barmaid with a cheery smile that turned a plain face into one of simple beauty and sparkling green eyes. Her smile faded a bit as she saw their condition. What happened to you two, she said, her voice concerned. Jal grunted something that sounded grumpy. Theron could not blame him, but there was no cause to take it out on the barmaid. He managed as much of a smile as he could and replied, I'm not really sure. Larian told her what had happened, and her eyes went wide with shock, Larian supposed at first. You boys better leave town. Now. She glanced toward the taproom door and licked her lips. She was not shocked. She was frightened. Giles looked up at her and scowled. Because some jerk who can't see past a uniform? The barmaid looked at them, as she would a stupid schoolboy. He's not just some jerk. That man you described sounds like one of Johann Simelon's men. He's... She looked around quickly though no one else was around to hear it. He's a very rough man, Jow snorted. The barmaid's expression became, if anything, even more severe and frightened than before. What was the deal with that crowd? Larian asked. The girl shrugged. No idea. Someone outside began shouting about soldiers cheating him. And then another guy piped up that some soldiers had dishonored his daughter, and next thing we knew, that crowd had gathered. They left very quickly, Larian said. She nodded. Yeah, it was strange. They all of a sudden stopped shouting and everyone left. It was almost like... She stopped, looking at them with wide eyes again. Like someone staged that crowd just to provide some cover, Giles finished. He sounded resigned, but his lips were compressed into an expression of towering fury. Larian had only seen that look on his face a few times, but he knew it meant trouble for whoever caused it. Giles's implication was not lost on Larian, though. It seemed a little bit thin. No, he said, shaking his head, there's no way that was just for you or for us. That doesn't make any sense. I would agree, except the timing's a bit too much of a coincidence. Giles looked at the barmaid and asked, who is this Simelon? What's his business? The girl bit her lip and glanced around again, clearly not happy with the way the conversation had turned. She delayed answering for a few seconds, making Larian think she was going to just leave. When she finally spoke, it was in a hushed whisper. They say that if a crime happens in town, he's behind it. Or at least he approved it. But the guard's never been able to prove anything. He runs a gambling house on the east side. I hear it can get a little bit rough there sometimes. Giles' face went pale as the girl finished. He looked away from her toward the window and muttered, Bugger me. The girl flushed and looked away. Surely the language had not offended her, working in a taproom as she did. Larian cleared his throat and held out a silver penny. Thank you. Can you uh, bring us a couple mugs of ale and keep the change? The girl's eyes widened. It was a very nice tip. She bobbed her head, made a half curtsy, and hurried off to the bar. As soon as she was out of earshot, Larian leaned forward over the table. What's wrong? I remember what happened, Giles replied, sounding a bit sick. That could not be good. Larian waited, not wanting to intrude until Giles was ready. In the intervening moments, the girl returned with two foaming tankards, 
which she set down on the table with another cheery smile, this one a bit forced, unless Larian missed his guess. Jalavros raised his tankard and took a long drink. When he finally came up for air, it did not look as though he felt any better. His eyes were haunted, defeated. I went gambling last night, Giles said. Yeah, I know, so... Oh. Oh, no. Giles nodded. I was up, but the stakes got larger as the night moved on, and I was nearing my limit. There was this one guy with an obvious tell, and I thought sure I could take him, so... He took another drink, looking thoroughly miserable, and continued. I put everything I had down on that one last hand, but they had no money, more money than I did, and he raised me. I couldn't fold and lose it all, so... So you wagered your grandfather's pendant? Giles shook his head. No, I, I managed to convince him I had more money in my room at the inn. The owner staked me, and we finished out the hand. He hung his head. I lost. Well, that explains why Semelon's angry. When he found out you had no more money, Giles shook his head. I didn't give him the chance. I ran. Beat down the guard at the door and ran. That triggered a memory for Larian. Giles sprinting to catch up with the Liberty Wagon as it pulled out of the square on its last run back to the camp. He had presumed the other man was just running late. Nothing more. We'd better get back to camp. They won't be satisfied with light beating. Giles shook his head more emphatically. No, not until I find my grandfather's pendant. It's probably just in another bag at camp. No, we'll just, uh... Giles leaned forward, nearly snarling. No, I had it with me in my pouch. I remember that now, but when I got back to the wagon, my pouch was gone. I didn't think anything of it at the time, since I was out of money, but... That sinking feeling returned in Larian's gut. You think it's in the gambling den. Giles nodded. Larian looked away and thought the situation over for a moment. This could only end badly. That much was clear. Smart play was just to get back to camp and forget about it. Heirlooms got lost all the time. He almost said as much, but looking at Giles' stricken face, Larian found he was unable to force the words from his lips. Oh, wonderful. He was going to regret this. They both were. All right, let's go get it back. Giles blinked, looking surprised for a second. Then a grateful smile spread out across his face. The bluffing lass sat catty corner from a warehouse in a tannery. A sign hanging over the door featured a boxum beauty with rosy cheeks and a sly smile on her face, holding a hand of cards over her bodice. It was actually fairly inviting, and certainly played up the irony of the establishment's name. The building itself was squat, but well-constructed and maintained. It was painted in lively colors that managed to look cheerful, at least superficially. The odors from the tannery definitely lowered the attractiveness of the area, but overall it did not look as though this place was a hive of scum and villainy. But appearances can be deceiving. It was with a certain amount of trepidation that Larian stepped into the gambling house's entrance. Giles would be instantly set upon the moment he set foot inside, but Larian did not expect to be recognized, so the reconnaissance fell on him. All the same, as he reached out for the door handle, it almost felt as though he was walking into an ambush. Larian glanced up at the sky, still deep blue despite the beginnings of sunset, and said in silent prayer that this would go well, or that at least it would not be a total disaster. He stepped inside, and stopped dead in shock. Inside was like another world, one of opulence and indulgence. The room was lit by numerous brightly burning chandeliers that hung from the ceiling every few paces. Rich tapestries depicting the hunt or famous battles or happy people taking their leisure lined the walls. Thick carpets of deep red covered the floor, muffling his footsteps. The scent of fine incense filled the air, 
along with the sounds of laughter and boisterous conversation intermixed with shouts of victory and groans of loss. Tables for the various games, each surrounded by a crowd of people in clothes ranging from the finest silks to the poorest wool, were scattered throughout the room, serving girls dressed in tightly fitting red gowns with golden lace in suggestive places. Room between the tables, carrying trays filled the drinks of all varieties. Against the wall to the right was a thick wooden bar with polished brass taps for the various casks that were stacked behind it. A pair of large swinging doors dominated the far wall beneath a sign that read, High Stakes. A smaller door, made of metal, with a sliding viewport at the high level, stood next to the bar. Larian had a notion of what a gambling house would be like before he entered. This was not it. This place almost looked respectable. Gonna gawk or you gonna play, lad? The gruff voice drew Larian's gaze away from the room to the man standing to his right. Tall, bald, and bulging with muscles, he had a scar that ran the length of his right cheek and a tattoo of a star on the left side of his neck. He wore a simple red tunic that was trimmed in gold thread and black pants tucked into heavy work boots. His face seemed made for scowling, though he had a, twi a twinkle in his eye as he looked Larian up and down. Was that amusement? Larian cleared his throat. Play, I suppose. I thought so. Table minimum's two pennies here. Max bet's five marks. Five marks? The bouncer's eyes narrowed. You want to bet more? Gotta go on back. Back's got an entrance fee, though. Oh, right. Larian had no intention of betting even that much, but it was probably best not to reveal that. Thanks. He set off toward the bar. Best to take a look around and get a feel for things before committing to a particular game, he supposed. Nice shirt, quipped the bouncer as he moved away. Hate to see you lose it. Larian glanced back and forced a grin that he hoped was confident onto his lips. The bouncer met his gaze and smirked. So much for the confidence. Bartender was a man of average height and build with thick black hair that he wore cut short. He wore the same colors as the other employees, red with gold thread. As Larian slid onto a stool, the bartender gave him a once-over and grunted. Will it be? Larian glanced at the casks and the bottles behind the bar and saw only names that he knew to be expensive or that he did not recognize at all. He hesitated for a moment, then shrugged. Ale. Bartender nodded with a snort and turned to his taps at the far end of the bar from Larian. While he waited for his drink, Larian turned on his stool to survey the room again. From what he could tell, there were three or four different games, two card games of some variety or other, though in truth it could have been the same game, for all Larian knew, a game of dice and a game that seemed to involve a around a great spinning wheel with a ball that bounced around on it. Just then, he hit upon the great flaw in his reconnaissance plan. He had no idea how to play any of them. Well, I'm broke. Giles looked askance at Larian as he sat down. Their tent seemed a bit more cramped than usual, even with just the two of them present. Giles had come back on the Liberty Wagon as soon as Larian left for the bluffing lass. No sense in pushing his luck, after all. Not until it was necessary, anyway. Well, that was fast. Larian shrugged. That dice game was more tricky than it looked. Giles whistled softly through his teeth. Guess I should have warned you. He flopped back onto his rag and blew out a deep breath. Well, so much for that, then. Bugger me. Hey, not so fast. I'm broke, not clueless. Huh? Larian rolled his eyes. Kept my eyes open when I was in there. One of the bouncers wore a pretty distinctive necklace. An eagle on the wing with sapphire eyes. That the one? Giles sat bolt upright on his rack, his eyes widening in recognition. By deus, he began. Then he stopped, swallowed, and began again. That's it. Which bouncer was it? Short guy. Skinny. 
Blonde hair and a short goatee. Not the sort of guy I'd pick as a bouncer, if you ask me, but the other guy seemed to defer to him. I think his name was Roland. Larry nodded. Yep. Giles breathed the curse. The other night, before things got all hazy, I remember seeing that guy take down two men at once who were giving the other bouncers trouble. He's fast. Real fast. So are you. Giles shrugged slightly, but not reply. Instead, looking aside toward the little box where he kept his mail. And besides, there's two of us, and we're not just a couple of drunk gamblers. I think we can probably handle them. What are you talking about? Giles looked back at Larian with an incredulous expression. You don't mean jump them in the street or something? We're not thugs. That wouldn't be my first choice, no. Maybe he'd sell it. No. Larian blinked. That would be the cleanest way. No! I'm not paying money for what's rightfully mine. Okay, but if you won't pay him and you don't want to just jump him, that doesn't leave a whole lot of options. Giles ground his teeth and leaned back on his elbows. After a moment of pondering, a sly smile appeared on his face. Larian's heart fell. He knew that smile, even from the short time he had known him. Larian knew that when Giles smiled like that, he had something clever but also very dangerous in mind. You ever picked a lock? Giles asked. Larian's jaw fell open in surprised shock. Larian pulled the cowl of his cloak down a bit lower. From where he stood, leaning against the trunk of a maple tree that grew in front of a small warehouse a block away from the bluffing lass, it would be difficult for anyone to spot him. The closest street lamp was a hundred feet away, and it was not exactly a beacon. All the same, he could not help but feel exposed. A trickle of sweat ran down his back, and his heart raced, even though he had done so little the entire evening except stand there and watch. He was not cut out for the criminal life, apparently. Giles' plan was so ludicrous that Larian still could not believe he agreed to it. It was simple enough. The next day, on their overnight liberty, they would go to town, get a room on an out-of-the-way inn, and lay low for the day. Then, come nightfall, they would stake out the bluffing lass until Roland left work. Then they would follow him home, wait for him to go to sleep, break into his place, and take back Giles' pendant. <laughs> what could go wrong? Larian said dozens of things, and standing there against the tree, a fully dozen more sprang to mind as he waited. This was a horrible idea. But he had not been able to come up with anything better. It was not like they could go to the city watch. Hey, uh, Mr. Guardsman, my friend ran out on his bill at the local business, and he left the family heirloom there by mistake. Could you go back and get it back for him, please? That would work out really well. With bargaining and assault ruled out, Larian really thought just buying back the cursed thing was the best route to take, but Giles would not budge. There was nothing to do it but to trial Giles' plan, stupid as it was. Larian just hoped it would not land them both in the stocks or worse. The night drew on. Dozens of people entered and left the gambling house, but Roland was not among them. Larian's anxiety faded gradually, replaced by boredom and growing fatigue. It was getting harder and harder to remain still without drifting off. He felt something hard and rough impact the side of his head, and he jerked awake with a muttered oath, his hand darting instinctively to the hilt of the dagger he wore on his belt. Sword would not do. It would have drawn too many eyes in the Liberty Wagon and from the town guards. The dagger, though, was easier to hide. What had just hit him, he looked around and blanched when he realized what happened. As he had dozed off, he hit his head on the tree trunk. Larian muttered another oath at its lack of discipline and ran in place for a few seconds to get his blood flowing again. He needed to stay watchful. Larian glanced up at the moons, visible together in the sky for the next week of their cycles, and tried to guess at the time. It must have been only a couple hours before dawn. The bluffing last closed at two bells after midnight. Roland had to leave soon, unless he slept at work. 
That was a possibility neither he nor Giles had thought of, and that could mess everything up. A high-pitched whistle, one of the songbird calls, the scouts mimicked to pass information to each other, reached Larian's ears, and he perked up. Giles had spotted the target. And there he was. In his irritation with himself, Larian had missed Roland leaving the gambling house. He was now a half block away from their establishment, walking in Larian's direction. Giles should be maneuvering to follow at a discreet distance. Larian just needed to stay out of sight until Roland passed, then he would rendezvous with Giles and continue the pursuit. That was great in theory, but in practice, his little bout with sleep left him away from the tree and exposed. If Roland had not seen him yet, he would very shortly. Larian was new at this, but he could imagine it would be suspicious if he, if he just tried to hide right in front of the man. Instead, he took a deep breath, drew the cowl down a little bit lower, and stepped out from beneath the tree. Roland slowed as Larian drew nearer, following him with his eyes in a manner that shouted he knew what could happen on dark streets late at night. Larian put a bit of a stumble into his steps, trying to look as though he had consumed a few too many, and kept a good distance between Roland and himself, all the while praying to Deus that he would not decide to start up conversation. He need not have worried. After the initial assessment, Roland seemed to dismiss him. As they passed each other, Roland shot him one last glance, his shoulders tensing visibly as though he expected Larian to jump him from behind. But he never changed the length of his stride, and soon enough they were again two fellows walking their different ways. Larian let out his breath and looked around for Giles. He wouldn't be trailing Roland by more than a block. Most likely less. What was that? Giles' voice came from the shadows behind Larian and to his right. Larian spun to face him and saw only a darker patch among the shadows on the side of the building that looked vaguely human-like. With a quick shrug, he moved over to join his friend. I was away from the tree. I thought it was better than scurrying around all of a sudden. Giles pursed his lips slightly, then nodded. He knew improvisation was sometimes necessary, just as Larian did. One good thing, though, he's still wearing that pendant. I saw it reflect the moonlight as we passed each other. Outstanding. Giles seemed eager to be about their business. Ahead of them, Roland turned to the left, down a narrow side street. The sign at the intersection labeled it as Porter Lane. As Larian and Giles turned the corner, Larian immediately understood why. The street ran between two large warehouse-like buildings. The building on the right had a number of smokestacks, it looked like. Even though most of the interior lights were out, a few windows still shone with lamplight. Through them were visible large metal drums and running piping. At first, faint, and then stronger, as they passed the midpoint in the building, the smell of hops wafted through the air. I love breweries, Giles murmured. Larian grinned, suppressing a chuckle. His mirth faded quickly when he looked from the windows to the street ahead. Son of a... Where is he? Giles swore quite colorfully, Larian's words jerking him back to the task at hand. They stopped and looked around, but as far as Larian could tell, there was no sign of their query. Had they lost him so quickly? There was no way he could have gotten to the next intersection before they got here, unless he had ducked into an alcove somewhere. A barely perceptible rustling from behind was the first warning. The soft hiss of metal and leather followed almost immediately, then through his cowl, Larian felt steel, sharp steel, against the back of his neck. It's a little late for a stroll, boys. The voice was a smooth baritone, the accent educated, cultured. Larian began his turn, his head, to get a look at the speaker, presumably Roland, but he preferred to know for certain, but the steel dug a bit deeper, penetrating the wool and pressing into his skin painfully. A wet trickle began to run down the back of his neck, and he knew the blade had begun to draw blood. Don't move an inch, the man said again. He paused and then added, either of you. 
From the corner of his eye, Larian saw that Giles was standing dead still. If it was just one man, he must have two blades. He was either very good or very foolish to do that. Larian suspected this former. Sir, we... Giles began... Shut up! The interruption was accented by another increase in pressure on the blade. Larian gritted his teeth as the pain increased. His shirt was going to be ruined completely if this kept up. You picked the wrong man to rob, the man continued. We're not here to rob you. The lie flowed smoothly from Larian's lips. He did not even feel ironic in saying it. Oh, really? Yeah, we're just heading home is all, Giles said. A loud snort preceded another poke with the blade, mercifully, or not, in a different position on Larian's neck. There are no homes down this way. Nothing this way till the end of town but warehouses. So why don't you try again? Crap. That's what they get for skulking around in a town they did not know well. Now what? You got something of mine, Giles surprised Larian by coming straight to it. I was hoping to buy it back. Oh, so now he saw the wisdom in that? Larian almost shook his head in annoyance, but then he remembered the blade. There was a long moment of silence. Then the blade came off Larian's neck. He breathed a quick sigh of relief. Then the man stepped around in front of them, moving more quickly than Larian would have thought possible, at least without not losing control of himself. But he didn't. Roland slid smoothly around in front of them on light feet that danced over the paving stones like he was on a stage. His blonde hair seemed to shimmer in the moonlight. His narrow eyes gazed at them intently as though daring them to make a move. He wore his work clothes, the red tunic with gold thread and black pants, beneath a flowing black cloak which he had thrown back over his shoulders to free up his arms, and he held a pair of long daggers, almost short swords in their own right, which he kept pointed at their faces. Lower the hoods. Larian complied, and he could see Giles doing the same. Recognition flashed across Roland's face when he saw Larian. When Giles' face came out of the shadows, recognition quickly turned to disgust and tightly wound anger. You! I ought to string you up and run you back to Johan right now, he spat onto the ground at Giles' feet. You cost him a lot of money, boy. Giles scowled, then lowered his eyes for a moment. Yeah, I'm not proud of that. He drew a deep breath and returned his gaze to Roland's. My grandfather gave me that pendant when he died, he gestured at the eagle, dangling from a leather thong around Roland's neck. It's been in the family for ten generations. Roland blinked, and his eyes flickered downward toward where the pendant dangled on his chest. He shifted slightly, and the silver eagles glinted softly in the moonlight. I found this on the street, outside the club. You must have dropped it while, I, while you were riding out on your bill, Roland sneered. Why should I believe you? He sniffed again. Hell, I'd have bleed you right here, can you think of it? His muscles tensed, as though he was about to move to do just that. How much? Larian blanched as soon as he said that, because Roland's gaze returned to his. The man's eyes were cold, unfeeling, murderous. Despite the fact that his mouth had suddenly gone dry, Larian found himself swallowing. Fifty marks. Fifty? Larian shook his head. No, how much for the pendant? That's not for sale, but for fifty. I won't tell Johan I saw you tonight. His sneer turned positively vicious. Larian looked over at Giles, saw the muscles in his jaw tense momentarily, then relax. His entire body seemed to relax, and his eyes went flat. Oh, crap. Larian knew that look. Giles got it every time before a fight. This was about to get ugly. I don't have 50 marks, Giles said in a quiet tone. If Larian did not know him, he would have taken that tone to mean that Giles was defeated. Roland did not know Giles at all. His sneer turned into a malicious grin. I guess you're out of luck, then. Surprise flashed across Roland's face for a heartbeat when Giles struck, but quickly vanished, replaced by a mask of cold concentration. 
Larian almost thought Giles' gambit would work. The lithe man darted forward and to the left, kicking out with his right foot toward Roland's belly. But the bouncer was too quick. He leapt backward, allowing Giles' foot to pass clear of his body and causing him to pivot a bit more than he probably planned to. Then Roland advanced, both daggers descending toward Giles' now-exposed back. The sudden move to violence rooted Larian in place. He knew he should not have been surprised, and his mind screamed at him to move to go to Giles' aid, but it was all he could do to watch the daggers streaking towards his friend's body and cringe. They may have never made contact, as Giles rolled into a the roll that brought him out of Roland's reach and then popped back up onto the balls of his feet and spun to face his bouncer, his own significantly smaller dagger in his hand. Whatever it was that made Larian freeze up vanished as Roland, taking a second to assess Giles' weapon, advanced again. This had the potential to end badly for everyone. They needed to end it quickly. Last thing he, and Giles he was sure, wanted to do was to spill Roland's blood or have his own spilled. Not like this, not over something so small. Larian refused to consider whether Giles considered the pendant big enough to kill over. He licked his lips and pulled out his own dagger and leapt forward toward Roland's back. He felt momentary surprise that the bouncer had been so careless as to leave his back exposed. Hadn't Giles said he was a really good fighter? But that did not stop him from bringing the pommel of his dagger down onto the back of his head, where it met his neck. Roland let out a surprised grunt that fell in a heap at Larian's feet. Brieflin... Larian worried they may have actually killed the man he lay so still, but, this, but then he saw that his chest was still moving. Larian glanced at Giles, who blinked in surprise. Well, that was easy, Giles said. He stepped over and nudged Roland with his boot. The bouncer only groaned. Then, with a shrug, Giles squatted down and, using his dagger, sliced through the leather thong that held his grandfather's pendant around Roland's neck. He straightened, pendant clutched in his hand, and grinned triumphantly at Larian. Got it! Great. Larian looked up and down the street, and the realization that they had just beat up and robbed a guy in plain view of anyone who happened to be walking by or looking out a window crashed down on him. We need to get out of here. Now. Giles looked at him with his head cocked to the side, questioning. What are you... Then his eyes widened, and he looked down at Roland, who was beginning to stir. Oh. Yeah, let's go. They wasted no more time, but ran off into the night. Larian nudged his horse into motion as the column moved out. He and his fellow scouts rode in the van, as always, ahead of the command element. Behind them, the heavier cavalry led the pikemen, followed by the archers, then the supply wagons. The company on the march was impressive, but just then he was not in the mind to think on it. He glanced at Giles, who rode beside him. The silver pendant hung around his neck. "'Well, there is one town we'll never be able to return to again,' Giles said. Larian nodded. No more Mirasol for them, that much was certain. It had not taken long to convince Giles they needed to clear out of their inn and get back to camp as quickly as possible that night. He seemed to have put two and two together on his own during the run from the site of their scuffle with Roland to the inn. Roland was in tight with Johan, who was apparently chief of the underworld in Mirasol. He knew what they looked like, and there were only so many inns in town. They needed to clear out, and fast. The innkeeper probably would have protested at being roused from his bed so they could leave, so they just left his payment for the night, along with a hasty note thanking him for his hospitality and a hefty tip in a small box he kept on the taproom bar for tips. Then they gathered up a few things they had brought with them and left. Walking, or rather jogging, back to the camp in the dark of night was difficult and would have been even had they not been dead tired. 
They finally arrived around mid-morning and passed the Liberty Wagon as it headed out on its first trip to Mirasol that day. They received more than a few questioning glances from their comrades in the wagon. But no matter, they were safe. There was no way Johan and Roland were going to go to the authorities over this, and without that, there was no way they could touch Giles and Larian as long as they remained in the camp. So that's what they did, taking duty for other men who wanted more time in town and generally keeping a low profile. Still, Larian felt no small amount of relief when they finally picked up the camp and formed in column for the march back to the front. Been thinking about Roland, Larian said. Feel rather bad about what we did to him. Giles snorted. We defended ourselves, that's what we did. Besides, he's alive. Just got a knock on the head is all. Yeah, but... But what? Larian frowned, but did not answer. His thoughts were confused. On the one hand, they had robbed Roland, and that was what was eating at him. He was not a thief. Never would be a thief. And yet, he had done a thing that thieves do, so what did that make him? But on the other hand, Roland worked for a criminal, and was probably done all manner of bad things to other people, and the pendant was rightfully Giles's. So was it really stealing? And Roland had come at them with a knife. Two of them. Giles stared at Larian for a long minute, then shook his head and reached out to cuff him on the shoulder. Lighten up, Larian. You reap what you sow, and him and Johan reaped a whole lot of badness over the years from what I've heard. Think of it as a little justice. Larian nodded. If you say so, I do. Besides, we're long gone now. We'll never see the likes of those two again, and good riddance. That was probably true, but it still didn't solve the pang of Larian's conscience as he rode away to war. Okay, so yeah, that's the story. Larian kind of getting up to a little bit of no good there, and the kind of mischief that sometimes happens on Liberty. Not that I ever done in any mischief at all on Liberty calls in foreign ports when I was in the Navy. Nope. Pure as the driven snow, this guy right here. No trouble whatsoever, ever. So yeah, hope you like it. Uh, let me know what you think. Now you can drop comments below or uh, send me an email through the website. You uh, can find me there. Sometimes I'm on I'm on Facebook, not super often, just because I'm starting to hate it more and more. I have a Twitter account. Almost never there because I really hate Twitter. So the website's the best way to reach me. Um, if you like the story, you know what to do. Pass on to your friends uh, about these uh, cool tales you've been listening to and uh, send more people my way. Come buy a copy uh, or, you know, leave a tip. Uh, that's all I got for you this week. Hopefully you guys have a good, good one. Talk to you next time and uh, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Thanks for listening to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. You can find me online at michaelkingswood.com. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. My web store is ssnstorytelling.com where you can find all my books in your favorite formats. Purchasing through the web store nets me the most profit, but if you prefer, I'm also on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, and all the other usual e-tailers. If you want to learn about new releases, sign up for my mail list through the contact form at my website. I guarantee not to spam you, only send an email when I have some news to share. Finally, if you really like what I'm doing and want to support on a more regular basis, you can come by Patreon and become a patron. Just a couple bucks a month will help out a lot. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyright of Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music copyright Gene Paul Zogby, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved.